following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs 4. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. As Pastor Sam said, my name is Eric Olson, and it is my absolute pleasure and honor to be here and fill a pul- the pulpit for Pastor Sam that he fills week in, week out with such, with, with such devotion. And um, Sam, I'm just, I just want to say thank you uh, personally for the amount, of, um, the amount of time that you give to this, uh, the amount of um, just patience and teaching and instruction that you've given me um, as I try to learn how to preach. So uh, thank you. So, two weeks ago, um, Ash got up and he had spoke about what wisdom actually is. And we saw from Ash that, that wisdom is not less than knowledge, it's actually more than knowledge. 
Wisdom, he said, is the highway to becoming the right kind of fool. And then last week, Pastor Sam walked us through the idea of getting wisdom. How does one attain wisdom? We saw that attaining wisdom is first and foremost a posture of heart, a posture of humility. One cannot become wise without first realizing that they are foolish and they have need of wisdom. Now this week we are going to take it one step further and we're going to talk about what it, what it looks like to walk out this wisdom. What it, what it looks like to live a wise life. Or better yet, how can I be assured that I'm actually walking in wisdom now? But before I do that, I'm going to go ahead and pray again. So please join me in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, come to you today. Um, Thanking you for uh, the liturgy this morning. Thanking you for the worship. Thanking you for uh, meeting us here already this morning. And Father, uh, I pray that you would meet us again in this word. I pray that um, you would take the words of my mouth and you would animate them. You would give them life. Um, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are receptive to what you have to say for us. Uh, so, Father, we pray all these things and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I love Jimmy John's, one of my favorite sandwich shops. Um, and every time I go in there, one of my favorite things is, is to wait for my, as my sandwich is being made and just kind of look at their wall. They have all kinds of different plaques that have sayings and things. And there's one story on one of the plaques that I always I keep coming back to and I keep reading. And it goes like this. It's, it's about an American investment banker and a Mexican fisherman. It says, An American investment banker was at the pier of a small coastal village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented, complimented the Mexican on the quality of the fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican re- replied, Only a little while. The American then asked, why didn't why he didn't stay out longer and catch more fish? The Mexican said, he had enough to support his family. Then the American asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, well, I, I sleep late. I fish a little, play with my children, take siestas with my wife, Maria, stroll the village each evening where I sip wine, play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life. The American scoffed. I am a Harvard MBA. I could help you. You could spend more time fishing and with your proceeds buy a bigger boat. And with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would work, sell directly to the processor, eventually opening up your own cannery. You would control the product, the processing, and distribution. You would need to leave this small coastal village and move to Mexico City, then L.A., and eventually New York City, where you would run your expanding enterprise. The Mexican fisherman asked, but how long will all this take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But then what? Asked the Mexican. The American laughed and said, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. Then you would make millions. Millions! Wow, then what? The American said, well, then you would retire. 
You'd move to a small coastal village where you would sleep late, fish a little, play with your kids, take siestas with your wife, stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play guitar with your amigos. Now listen, I, I, there's a few things from this story that really speak to me on, on, on what it means to walk in wisdom. See, first, a wise life isn't always found, with, uh, found by the most knowledgeable, the most talented, the most gifted, or even the hardest working. Often, um, it, it, it isn't the ones that are able to just crush goals that walk in wisdom. No. That if, we, if our education gifts and hard work aren't applied wisely, we end up looking like a fool. See, the story also illustrates the chilling and hard truth that foolishness is blinding. See, fools don't think they're fools. They can't see it. As educated as the investment banker is, he is absolutely blind to his own foolishness. See, we are meant to see in the well-thought-out plan that his, his well-thought-out plan is just foolishness masked in wisdom. Now, we don't want that. We don't want to live a life that is just foolishness masked in wisdom, that has an appearance of wisdom. We want an actual wise life. But the third thing, that I think this story illustrates for us is a universal truth. The desire to be happy. The desire to be fulfilled. The desire to have our restless soul satisfied. Both the investment banker and the fisherman are living in pursuit of this. In pursuit of this happiness, this satisfaction. They're both after contentment. The fisherman, the way he leads his life, and the American investment banker, in the hopes that all his work and effort would eventually buy it for him. Now, the Bible isn't opposed to this kind, this, this pursuit of, right, of rest, this pursuit of satisfaction. In fact, throughout the Proverbs, the theme on repeat is that blessings and satisfaction and joy and life come to the wise, but also that calamity, loneliness, and death come to the fool. So we want to live a wise life. We want to be satisfied. We want to find joy. But how do we do it? Now, ultimately, living a wise life comes down to becoming a tactician at making wise choices. Sounds pretty simple. Just get better at making, making decisions. The problem is, is psychologists estimate we make about 35,000 choices every day. 35,000. And that number is only increasing. If you think about it, when, when I, 25 years ago, when I was a kid, like, I, if I wanted to watch TV, I had maybe eight channels to choose from. But now, there's a plethora of channels, yet alone Netflix and YouTube and Amazon Prime Video and, and you name it. Even entertainment isn't mindless anymore. The number of choices that we have and the non-immediacy of results can literally cause the brain to shut down. It's something that psychologists call decision fatigue, right? Maybe some of us feel that. We feel just the weight of, it's constant decisions, right? Stay-at-home moms, anyone, right? I know my wife does, my wife feels that. For Mother's Day, uh, before I asked her, what do you want for Mother's Day? She said, I just want to live one day where I don't have to make a decision. Just, just one day. You pick the meals, everything. And so we got that for her. 
But why is it so hard to choose? And why, after we make a decision, do we spend so much time worrying about whether or not we've made the right one? What school do I attend? Did I attend the right school? What major should I go into? Man, is this the right major to be in? Who should I marry? Yeah, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> what job should I take? Man, how should I invest my money? How, how should I, uh, what house should I buy? These, it's just question after question, decision after decision. When you add parenting into the mix, it only gets more difficult. Now I'm not only making my 35,000 decisions, but with each child it becomes ramped up. I've got decisions to make now for another life. Do I use cry it out or co-sleep? Do I go private school, public school, home school? It's decision after decision, choice after choice. At no point in human history have we had more options available to us. So we need wisdom. And that's why we turn to Proverbs. Proverbs, as well as the rest of the scriptures, will not give us direct answers to many of the questions of, of life. And if you try to use the Bible as a magic eight ball, it's not going to work out well for you. Uh, who should I marry? Jezebel. Dang it. Right? That doesn't work. See, the Bible won't give you direct answers. But what the Bible will give you is something better, something bigger, something deeper. It will make you wise in your choices. Now, if we want to experience satisfaction, if you want rest for your soul, if you want the real hashtag blessed life, the Bible will not only lead you to the pathway of wisdom, as Pastor Sam talked about last week, it will show you how to walk it. Today, Solomon is going to show us that if we are going to walk the path of wisdom, to walk it and remain on it and grow, uh, grow in it, there are three things that we need to pay particular attention to. First, where we look. Second, where we walk. And third, what we love. Okay? So go ahead and open up your Bibles um, to Proverbs chapter 4. We'll jump in. All right, we'll start in verse 1. It says, Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. I love how Solomon has started out the Proverbs over the last few weeks. It's encouraging to me as a father. See, this is our third week looking at the third chapter, uh, third different chapter of Proverbs, and each one of them, Solomon's pleading with, with his children, listen to me. Hey, hey, look, eyes up here. Listen to what I have to say. I've got wisdom for you. Now, parents, you know this, right? Like, you're trying to bring a little wisdom, a little instruction to your kids, and they're on a complete different planet. But you put on baby shark, and they're locked in, Right? Yeah, right? So, 
I love that Solomon spends the beginning of Proverbs repeatedly pleading for the attention of his children because it gives me hope. But I also love that he does it because it shows both the great concern and love that he has for his kids. Solomon's constant plea to listen to his wisdom comes from his great love for his children. He wants them to have a good life. He wants them to experience the blessings and contentment that is available. And so he keeps pleading with them, listen to my instruction. Hear what I have to say. I've got good things for you. But then he goes on to show, it's been the way of the family. Look at verse 3. Solomon says, When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, He taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Solomon says, listen, kids, I was where you are. My dad pled with me, listen to what I have to say. And who was Solomon's dad? It was King David, right? So we have... Two generations of wisdom being given to us. One from Solomon, who was, who was the second wisest person to ever live, and the other one, his father's wisdom being passed down, David, the one who was called a man after God's own heart. Church, we would do well to listen to what they have to say. But as important that we listen to what they have to say is the manner in which we do it. It's the, it's the amount of effort we put towards it. They don't just say, man, I got some words for you. Think about them now and, now and again if you get around to it. No, they say, keep them before you. Don't turn away. Don't remove your eyes. Life's here. Pay attention. Verse 4 says, let your heart hold fast to my words. Verse 5, do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Verse 20, be a, uh, my son, be attentive to my words. Verse 21, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. Do you hear the charge here? What they're calling us to is a lifetime of learning, a lifetime of being attentive, a lifetime of keeping the instruction of wisdom before us. Because developing wisdom isn't a destination. It's a process. A wise life is not like being a doctor where you get trained up, you get some knowledge, and now you're ready to live as a doctor. No. Living a wise life means submitting to a lifetime process of developing wisdom, learning how to use it. Now, as Pastor Sam talked about last week, wisdom is three things, the trifecta, right? It's straight thinking plus deep character, plus skilled execution. 
So hear me. A wise life isn't just available to those who have developed perfectly straight thinking. And it isn't just available to those who have got perfectly deep character and perfectly skilled execution. No. A life begins living wisely when we submit to the process of straighter thinking. When we pursue straighter or deeper character. A wise life is becoming trained in the skill of execution. See, a wise life is the life of a disciple. The word disciple in the New Testament is the word mathetes. It's where we get the word math from. And it literally means learner or student. And it carries with it this idea uh, using the mental effort needed to think something through. Being a disciple is more than just believing a few truths and moving on as though there's nothing else to learn. Being a disciple starts with seeing Jesus as our Savior, seeing that he lived the life we should live, but don't. And he died the death that we should die, but won't. And that he was raised from the grave to give us new life. But see, then being a disciple means learning how to walk out that new life. How to walk with Jesus and how to, how to interact with, with our world as an ambassador of, of Christ. So that means being a disciple means constantly going back to God's word and learning from it. See, in these verses, Solomon says that wisdom is not just something that we are to look at and accept as teaching. And it isn't just something that we listen to and obey as instruction. But wisdom is something that we are to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, to be prized above all else. See, Solomon personifies wisdom here. And uses covenantal marriage language to show the type of relationship that we are to have with wisdom. It's covenantal. It's marital. The wisdom of God isn't just something that we are to have as a possession. But God's wisdom is something that we are to become united to. See, this personification of wisdom that Solomon gives here isn't just a metaphysical reality. This wisdom has put on flesh. And dwelt among us. Jesus is personification of wisdom by God. Turn with your Bibles quickly to 1 Corinthians 1. First Corinthians 1. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna go down to chapter 26. He says, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, Solomon taught his children wisdom. But God gave us wisdom. Solomon taught his children the ways of righteousness. But God gave us Jesus who has become our righteousness. Jesus isn't just someone we are to look at and accept as Savior. Jesus isn't just someone we are listen to, to listen to and obey as Lord. Jesus is someone we are to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, to be united to as treasure. Now, as I close, I just want you to close your eyes as I read through verses 6 through 9 again. But as I put Jesus into the text... Listen to God's promises to you. Listen to, listen to what God says to you is the benefit of grabbing a hold of Jesus like this. Do not forsake Jesus, and he will keep you. Love Jesus, and he will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get Jesus. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize Jesus highly, he will exalt you. He will honor you if you embrace him. He will place on your head a graceful garland. And he will bestow on you a beautiful crown. See, church, the life of wisdom is getting Jesus before our face. Letting our eyes be filled with looking at him so that our hearts can be filled with love for him, so that our feet can walk the path of honoring him. There is no other, there is no other road that is wise that will lead you to satisfaction, but the road that sees leads you to having more and more of Jesus. Father, we want this. Give us eyes to see you at all times. Give us a desire to know you more. Give us, uh, give us feet that naturally walk out, that, that, that your commandments are not burdensome, that you, you say that if we love you, the fruit will be that we obey your commandments. So Father, teach us wisdom. Show us wisdom in Jesus. Show us why he's better than life. Father, we ask that you would do this, that you would fill our hearts continually with, with, <clears throat> with Jesus for your glory, but for our good and our joy. Amen. Time is a valuable thing. But I know this friend pretty well, and I know that every year he makes a point to watch the entire catalog of the show The Office, right? He loves it. And so I looked it up and uh, saw it takes 76 hours to watch the entire catalog of The Office, right? And at first, that kind of blew me away. I was like, 76 hours? That's a lot. But really, when you spread it out over the year, it works itself out to a little less than an hour and a half a week. It's like 0.8% of the year, right? Not so bad. 
Then I looked it up. How long does it take to read the Bible from cover to cover? That blew me away. 70 hours and 40 minutes. Five hours and 20 minutes less than the whole catalog of the office. Perhaps we're not as busy as we think we are. Perhaps our eyes have just been given to lesser things. Now listen, I'm not at all saying that entertainment is bad. That every waking moment needs to be spent in deep biblical study. It's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying that maybe it would be helpful to ponder how we're using our time. Are we using our time effectively? Are we using our time wisely? Which is my next point. If we are going to live a wise life, we need to pay particular attention to where we walk. Okay, look down at verse 10. It says, Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. (coughs) Avoid it, and do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have made someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. So here Solomon, (coughs) excuse me, so here Solomon draws a stark comparison. He kind of sets up two roads. He says, there's righteous road and wicked way. He says, righteous road, man, it's flat, it's open. There's a ton of freedom. You can walk it, you can run it, right? So he says, that's the way. It gets brighter and brighter the further you go on it. Stay to that path. And then he says, there's also wicked way. He says, this, this is dark. Like, can't see the hand in front of your face dark, right? He says, that way is calamity. That way is pain. That way is brokenness. Don't go that way. Now, I think for any of us, if we look at it like that, the choice seems easy, right? Go, go the good way. And maybe you are thinking, you know what? I think what, what Solomon's doing here is just what dads do, right? He's hyping up the consequences to conform his kid's behavior. Right? Don't, don't stand that close to the TV. You're, go cross-eyed, right? See, Solomon is definitely using figurative language. But he's making a larger point about what it looks like to walk down each road. He's making a point about what it's like to let the commands of God direct our steps compared to letting the desire of the flesh direct it. He says, walk according to the commands of God results in freedom, joy, and always brightening and more in- or ever-increasing glorious life. But to worship and pursue satisfaction that your flesh calls out for and find joy anywhere else is a path that leads every time to darkness, pain, and brokenness. Now, 
When I was about seven, I loved baseball. Every spring, I'd get so excited. And as soon as all the mel- ice melted, all the, all the snow melted, and I was in Minnesota, so that's like this time of year, right? Like, so <clears throat> every time that would, that would happen, I'd get my glove and my ball, and I'd spend hours just throwing the ball up on the, on the roof of our house and catching as it, as it came down, imagining being the next Kirby Puckett. If anyone knows who he is. But I'd get so excited for baseball. And so one time, my dad and I were out, uh, out for a walk, and we're walking by a baseball field, and all the snow had finally melted and finally given way, and you were able to see the, the field. And I'm like, Dad, can I go run the bases? He looks out there, and he's like, No, it's too muddy. Don't go that way. <laughs> don't, don't go out there and run that. I look, and I'm like, It looks fine. And so I kept pleading with him, please, Dad, please let me go run the bases. So my dad goes, listen, it's too muddy. But if you don't believe me, go check. Now, I don't know what my dad thought I heard when he said go check, right? I don't know if he thought I would go investigate it before starting to run. But when he said go check in my seven-year-old brain, I heard go prove me wrong. So that's what I went to do. So I get to home, home plate, and man, I take off like a rocket down first baseline, every foot hitting dry ground. You know, by this point, I'm, hey, this is going all right. I round first, and about halfway to first base, that's when it happened. I realized he wasn't wrong. And it wasn't like it was kind of muddy, right? No, my foot sank into about three inches of mud, now, the law of physics takes over at that point. If your lower half stops and your top half is still in motion, face first into about six inches of like a stew of dirt and water, right? Now, I learned a couple things that day. First, maybe my dad was able to see things a little bit clearer than I was. And second, Maybe he wasn't trying to steal from me the the joy of baseball like it felt like he was. Maybe, maybe he was trying to save me from the embarrassment of walking home caked in mud. And I think I saw everyone who I was friends with at that. Just, I mean, maybe he was trying to give me a bigger joy, one of walking home with him clean. See, church, hear me. God wants you to be happy. It's his desire that you would experience life. Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, there is a thief, one whose main objective is to steal your joy, kill your spirit, and destroy your life. But it's not God. It's not Jesus. See, God's commands do not block off joy from us. They aren't meant to keep us from what will bring us joy. They're they're posts that lead us to it. How we're really designed to be fulfilled. How we are really designed to live. So, we need to pay attention to where we walk. Look at verse 26. He says, 
ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Solomon says to ponder the path of your feet. This means this is like the idea of putting weights on a scale. Like, think about it. How does this weigh out? If you keep walking the way you are headed, where does that end up? So like, right now, it might just be a little flirtatious friendship at work. Follow that path down. Where does that lead? Is that the path that you want to be on? See, developing character is done over a lifetime of pondering the way we are walking and turning back to the center of the road. This idea of turn your foot away from evil. See, this is repentance. The picture of repentance. See, this is how character is developed. A lifetime of repentance and faith. You know, I'm desired and I see my my path straying that way. I'm going to bring it back to the center because I believe what you say. I want to head the way that you say. I'm trusting that you're leading me a better way. But there's still one crucial piece that we're missing. This is the central theme of the entire chapter and gives us the power needed to live this wise life. He says, we need to pay attention to what we love. Go back up to verse 5. It says, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. See, in these verses, Solomon says that wisdom is not just something that we are to look at and accept as teaching. And it isn't just something that we listen to and obey as instruction. But wisdom is something that we are to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, to be prized above all else. See, Solomon personifies wisdom here and uses covenantal marriage language to show the type of relationship that we are to have with wisdom. It's covenantal. It's marital. The wisdom of God isn't just something that we are to have as a possession, but God's wisdom is something that we are to become united to. See, this personification of wisdom that Solomon gives here isn't just a metaphysical reality. This wisdom has put on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is personification of wisdom by God. Turn with your Bibles quickly to 1 Corinthians 1. First Corinthians one, uh, we're gonna we're gonna go down to chapter twenty six. He says, "Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. 
But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, Solomon taught his children wisdom. But God gave us wisdom. Solomon taught his children the ways of righteousness. But God gave us Jesus who has become our righteousness. Jesus isn't just someone we are to look at and accept as Savior. Jesus isn't just someone we are to listen to and obey as Lord. Jesus is someone we are to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, to be united to as treasure. Now as I close, I just want you to close your eyes as I read through verses 6 through 9 again. But as I put Jesus into the text, listen to God's promises to you. Listen to, listen to what God says to you is the benefit of grabbing a hold of Jesus like this. Do not forsake Jesus, and he will keep you. Love Jesus, and he will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get Jesus. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize Jesus highly, he will exalt you. He will honor you if you embrace him. He will place on your head a graceful garland. And he will bestow on you a beautiful crown. See, church, the life of wisdom is getting Jesus before our face letting our eyes be filled with looking at him so that our hearts can be filled with love for him, so that our feet can walk the path of honoring him. There is no other, there is no other road that is wise that will lead you to satisfaction, but the road that sees leads you to having more and more of Jesus. Father, We want this. Give us eyes to see you at all times. Give us a desire to know you more. Give us, uh, give us feet that naturally walk out, that, that, that your commandments are not burdensome, that you, you say that if we love you, the fruit will be that we obey your commandments. So Father, teach us wisdom. Show us wisdom in Jesus. Show us why he's better than life. Father, we ask that you would do this, that you would fill our hearts continually with, with, <clears throat> with Jesus for your glory, but for our good and our joy.